Turn with me to John as we continue um, studying the book of John. I know we've been in John for a while, and here we are in John chapter 10. I will say even though we're in uh, John chapter 10, essentially we've covered most of the earthly ministry of Jesus, um, which ends here at, uh, at John chapter 10, starting in John 11 for the rest of the book, which is half the book, but it essentially covers the last week or two um, before the death of Jesus. And so it's a significant portion of Scripture. So we've covered a lot of time, actually, um, in these 10 chapters. We're going to be looking, starting here in John chapter 10, verse 22. We just spent a significant portion of time of Jesus at the Feast of Booths, or the Feast of Tents, if you will. And that's a time in the fall, a time of celebration where they came together and had a good time. But now we're going to be fast forwarding two or three months. Now we're in the winter. And it says in verse 22, it says at that time, the feast of dedication took place at Jerusalem. It was winter and Jesus was walking in the temple in the colonnade of Solomon. Now, I want to pause right here and and let you know that you might be thinking, OK, I'm. We've talked about how the the Feast of Booths or Tabernacles, that's part of the Old Testament. And Passover, we're talking about the Feast of Passover, that's part of the Old Testament. But you might be saying to yourself, where is the Feast of Dedication in the Old Testament? And I'll tell you, it's not there. This, this is a feast that we do not find in the Old Testament. In fact, what had happened is 400 years before, if you look at your Bible, um, you get to the end of the Old Testament, and then God stops speaking for 400 years. There's 400 years of silence. The prophets no longer speak. We have no more inspired word of God. Everything just shuts down until Jesus shows up. And then the word of God comes alive through Jesus Christ. So we have 400 years of silence. But during that 400 years of silence, even though God wasn't speaking inspired word of God during that time, a lot happened. You might have remembered from history class Alexander the Great. Anybody remember learning about Alexander the Great? Well, the audacity to call your like call yourself the Great, right? Like I'm going to name myself Andrew the Great from now on, and that's how I want to be referred to. Um, the audacity of these guys, right? I mean, they had to have a lot of audacity. He he conquered the world, so he thought, you know, I must be great. Um, he had conquered the world. He was Greek. And he brought Greek culture and the Greek language throughout the known world right there. Which is important to us because actually the oldest manuscripts of the Bible we have today are in Greek. In fact, um, in that time, because the Greek culture became so pervasive throughout the world, um, a group of 70 Jewish scholars got, the, got together and they translated the Old Testament from Hebrew into Greek. And that's some of the oldest manuscripts of, uh, of the Old Testament we have are actually in Greek. We call it the Septuagint. If you ever hear that, they're talking about the Greek Old Testament, even though it was originally written in Hebrew. And so Greek culture is just rampant all over the world. 
Uh, you might have learned in school how places became named Alexandria. There's so many cities called Alexandria all over the world. And even in Jerusalem, this Greek culture it came in. They built a gymnasium, which is not like the gymnasiums we have today. Those gymnasiums, you, the word gymno actually means naked, so you had to actually go in there in the buff, which some people had problems with. Yes, that's a thing. Um, that There was a gymnasium built in Jerusalem. There was all sorts of things that were happening that were establishing Greek culture in Israel, in Judah, in Jerusalem. And one thing that was happening uh, was that the people of Israel, probably of no surprise to you, began to worship Greek gods. Kind of, kind of their M.O., right? They continually turn away from the Lord and worship other gods. And so these Greek Jews, or we, Greek Jews, or sometimes they call them Hellenists, um, they began to be distracted from Yahweh, from the Lord. There was a, a leader that rose up, and man, I wish I'd go into detail on this. This would be a great movie. Um, this, this Greek leader, if you will, his name is Antichus Epiphanes. Epiphanes meant God manifest. That's even more outrageous than calling yourself the great. He called himself Antichus Epiphanes. I am God manifest. Well, that's interesting because that's what Jesus is, isn't he? Isn't he God in the flesh, Emmanuel, God with us? Um, the, the people of Israel called him uh, Antichus Epimenes, which meant crazy man because it was a play on words. They called him the crazy man because he began to come in and destroy the Jewish culture. He made rules like you're not able to circumcise your children anymore. He made rules that you weren't allowed to pray to Yahweh anymore. He, he made rules like you're not able to observe the Sabbath anymore. He set up a statue of Zeus in the temple and sacrificed a pig there. Now, if you know Jewish culture, pigs were a no-no. And to sacrifice a pig there was a big deal. And it angered some of the people there. And uh, one brother he was one of five brothers rose up after his dad had been killed uh his name was maccabees is what we call him it means the hammer that's like a cool nickname he was the hammer he was a warrior and they engaged in guerrilla warfare against the opposing armies and drove them out I, i'm oversimplifying it it would be an incredible movie and during that time they reestablished worship in the temple, got rid of the pagan idols, got rid of the Greek statues, and reinstituted sacrifice and worship to Yahweh, the one true God. And during that time, actually, um, they, they got out all the, the lanterns and, and the candles and everything they needed, and they only had enough oil for one day, and that oil lasted eight days. It was a miracle of God. As they were trying to worship, they only have enough oil to light the lanterns for one day, and it lasted eight days. And you actually, this is still actually observed by Jews today. Um, they call it Hanukkah, a time when they drove out these oppressors. It's back in the second century. And uh, actually, Hanukkah actually means dedication. Actually means dedication. So here's Jesus, and he's actually observing a feast 
I mean, that's the reason he's in Jerusalem. He's actually observing a feast that's not in the Bible. And so you might say, Pastor Drew, is it okay to celebrate Christmas? Because, you know, I've heard it's a pagan holiday that we've just absorbed. And I always, you know, I always find that interesting conversation. And and I would love to sit down and talk with you with that sometime. Um, my main concern isn't whether you celebrate Christmas or not. It's whether you love Jesus or not. Um, but I have this feeling that if Jesus can redeem a pagan like me, he can redeem a pagan holiday. Just my thought. Just my thought. Um, but we do have different kinds of people. I, I did have a woman call me once. She said, you're the pastor there, right, at FHOP? I said, sure. She goes, I'm thinking about attending. My thoughts are, what are, what are your thoughts on Christmas and Christmas trees in particular? And I said, well, we have some people in our church that, that don't put up Christmas trees, and we have some people in our church that do. It's just their personal convictions and how they celebrate the birth of Jesus. And she said, well, I just don't think Christmas trees are a thing. And then she wanted to talk with me for 20 minutes about Christmas trees. And after she got done, I said, ma'am, I see your point, but quite frankly, I don't care about Christmas trees one way or the other. I care what you do with Jesus. And you're completely distracted from Jesus by a Christmas tree. The point is Jesus. And then she let me talk to her for an hour, and she was weeping, and she was like, you're right, the Lord, I'm convicted right now. I've, I've, I've gotten distracted by something that doesn't matter. And then she never came to our church. But she totally met the Lord that day. So here we see Jesus observing a festival that's not in Scripture, even though Jesus had a high view of Scripture, and it didn't distract him from his worship. Verse 24. So the Jews gathered around Jesus and said to him, How long will you keep us in suspense? If you are the Christ, tell us plainly. I think this is ironic. Has he not been saying over and over and over again who he is? He's not, he's not. Tell us plainly. And Jesus answered them, I told you, and you do not believe. The works that I do in my Father's name bear witness about me, but you do not believe. Believe because you are not among my sheep. My sheep hear my voice and I know them and they follow me. I give them eternal life. Whoa, 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 whoa. Who gives them eternal life? Jesus. Jesus is claiming to give eternal life. You can't just say that you think Jesus is just a good teacher. A good teacher doesn't get up and say, I give eternal life. He says, I give eternal life, and they will never perish, and no one will snatch them out of my hand. My Father, who has given them to me, is greater than all, and no one is able to snatch them out of my Father's hand. I and the Father are one. I and the Father are one. Jesus is making it very clear here who he is. 
He's not saying I'm just kind of a, a God-like person. I'm not just a good prophet. He's saying I and the Father are one. And this echoes what we see back in, in John chapter 1 that says, In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. Jesus is God. All right, here we go. Thank you, Eddie. Let's give Eddie a hand. He's doing an incredible job. He's had to deal with a lot lately. You guys, he's behind the scenes. He's been running his tail off, so I'm so thankful to, to him. He says, I and the Father are one. And he, part of his language he's reaching back to is what he said three months earlier during the Feast of Tabernacles. You remember that? We, we preached it a week or two ago. Um, it's all running together now. But if you go back to verse 11, this is three months earlier in the temple. Jesus says, I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. He was the hired hand and not a shepherd who does not own the sheep, sees a wolf coming and leaves the sheep and flees, and the wolf snatches them and scatters them. He flees because he's a hired hand and cares nothing for the sheep. I am the good shepherd. I know my own, and my own know me. Just as the Father knows me, and I know the Father. And I lay down my life for the sheep. And he, he says, I, I choose to lay it down. No one takes it from me. I lay it down. And can I say to you today, so many of us, different times in our lives, We've put our trust in someone who was not the good shepherd. So many times, we in our lives, we put our faith, our time, our effort into someone or something that wasn't the good shepherd. And can I tell you this morning, when hard times hit, the thing that you put your trust in ran away. Maybe it was a relationship. Maybe you put your trust in a relationship, and the moment hard times hit, that person failed you. Maybe they didn't leave you physically maybe maybe they stayed by your side but they just didn't show up you can be there and not show up sometimes you know or maybe you put your your faith and trust in a in a drug or or in in some sort of like some of the times we put our faith and trust in social media and it makes us feel good like we put our faith and trust so many times in things that aren't the shepherd and when the wolf comes those things abandon us they don't fulfill us they don't protect us that's why, that's why we have so much worry and anxiety in our lives. If you're a sheep and you don't have a shepherd, you're going to feel anxiety. That's why I love Philippians chapter 4. I, I point people to Philippians chapter 4 so often. It tells us to rejoice in the Lord always. And again, I say rejoice. And it tells you that the Lord is near like a, like a good shepherd. And it says, do not worry about anything. Don't be anxious about anything. But instead, by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, make your requests known to God. And the peace of God that surpasses all understanding will guard your heart and mind. What's that saying is when you recognize that the good shepherd is close by, you have a reason to rejoice even in difficult situations. Because, yeah, my life might be hard, but the good shepherd is close by. He hasn't left me. He hasn't forsaken me. He's here. And even though things are hard, I'm going to 
live life and talk to him out of gratitude. Thank you that you're close. Things are hard, but I'm glad that you're here. And it says he hears our cries and he guards our mind and our hearts with peace that surpasses understanding. How many have ever experienced that before in your life? A peace that surpasses understanding. Like people even said, I don't know how you're being so calm through this whole thing. And all you can say is, I'm going to tell you something, it's Jesus. It's the good shepherd. I know he's got me. He's not like those other things I've tried in the past, other things that I've given my life to and been hurt by. Because when the wolf came, those things abandoned me. But Jesus never fails. Jesus never, we sang it this morning, he won't fail. He can't fail. And so this is what Jesus, he's reaching back to what he said three months earlier. He's referencing, but what he really is referencing is in Psalm 95. Let's turn to the Psalms this morning. Now, we, we call it the book of Psalms. I, I would like to say these Psalms, these are, they're not actually chapters like in other books. Um, these Psalms are are songs, and this would have been a songbook for the Hebrew people. Um, I don't. Did anybody grow up at a church with hymnals? Right, and in those churches, you get to the point where you wouldn't even like you didn't even have to say the name of the song. You could just say the page number, and you knew exactly like page thirty three thirty three. I'll fly away. Like, you wouldn't have to, everyone in the car, like, you sang it so much, you knew the page number. Some of you right now, you're thinking different page numbers and the songs that went with it. Well, this is the same thing. Now, we don't, we don't have it in this digital age because we have screens and we have, you know, our phones and everything. We don't need to remember the, the page number. But, but the same way, like, like most of you guys say, the 23rd Psalm, most of you know that one. Because you've memorized it. The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want, which fits this morning, right? He makes me lie down in green pastures. Right? The same way, but, but these people of God that Jesus is speaking to, they would have had all of these psalms memorized because these were their songs. This was their hymnal. This was their songbook. Even so much so, get this, when Jesus is hanging on the cross, he says, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? He's actually quoting one of the songs they sang, which is the 22nd song. And the parallels between Psalm 22 and Matthew 27, right in there, it's incredible. When you read it, you realize that that 22nd song was just a prophecy about Jesus hundreds of years later. And so when Jesus is talking here in John chapter 10, he's actually quoting from right here. And in Psalm 95, these people would have known this song. They would have known Psalm 95, oh, come, let us sing to the Lord. Let us make joyful noise to the rock of our salvation. It goes through all this, this praise. Verse 3, for the Lord is great, a great king above all gods. In his hand are the depths of the earth. The heights of the mountain are also his. The sea is his, for he made it. And his hands formed the dry land. This song is about God. This song is about Yahweh. Oh, come, let us worship and bow down. Let us kneel before the Lord. Remember, that's all caps, so that's Yahweh. Let's kneel before Yahweh, our maker. For he is our God, 
And we are the people of his pasture and the sheep of his hands. Wait a minute. We're the sheep of his hands. What did Jesus just say in John 10? He said, they're in my hands and no one can snatch them out. Today, if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts. Wait a minute. What did he just say back in John 9 and John 10? So my sheep know my voice. He's quoting straight from Psalm 95 here. He says, do not harden your hearts. He talks about a place where the people had hardened their hearts in the wilderness when their fathers put me to the test. And look at verse 9 there. And put me to proof, though they had seen my work. They'd put me to proof, though they had seen my work. They said, prove yourself to us, God, even though they'd already seen his works. Well, what's happening in John 10 right now? What are they doing? They're saying, Jesus, tell us plainly, who are you? And so Jesus starts this imagery of like, I have sheep. They know my voice. No one can snatch them from my hand. If we go back to John 10, we... We see him say a couple things that I think is interesting. In verse 28, he says, no one will snatch them out of my hand. And then the next verse he says, and no one is able to snatch them out of the Father's hand. So whose hand are they in? Jesus' hand or the Father's hand? And that's the right answer. Because... That's maybe what they were saying. Wait a minute. Are they in your hands or in the Father's hands? And so Jesus clears it up in the next verse when he says, I and the Father are one. It's the same hand. He's referring back to Psalm 95 where this is Yahweh talking. This is a praise to God himself. Jesus is very clearly making himself out to be the shepherd of Psalm 95. He's saying, I am Yahweh. And these people, like today, some theologians debate this, but these theologians, they had no question what Jesus was saying. We know that because look at verse 31. The Jews picked up stones again to stone him. Jesus was about to get stoned. And and I don't mean like what we're voting on on Tuesday. They were going to kill him. Verse 32. And this is weird. Can I say this next part is the reason why we're crawling through Scripture here? Because most churches I know just don't preach this passage because it's weird. Because Jesus is about to make a really strange statement. He's about to say to these Jews that they are God's. And that's really hard. That's hard to wrestle with. And so when you're not just preaching straight through, you can just never come to this passage. You just never have to preach it. But I read it, and I was like, oh, my gosh, I'm going to have to preach this. So here we go. Jesus answered them and said, I have shown you many good works from the Father. Once again, referring to Psalm 95. For which of them are you going to stone me? And the Jews answered him, it's not for your good work that we are going to stone you, 
but for your blasphemy, because you being a man, make yourself God. Once again, very clear. Jesus answered them, Is it not written in your law, I said you are gods? If he called them gods to whom the word of God came, and scripture cannot be broken, do you say of him whom the Father consecrated and sent into the world, you are blaspheming because I said I am the Son of God? And, and just so we know that when he's saying he's the Son of God, he's actually referring to a special title given to the Messiah, the Christ. This, like, I know we're all sons of God, but in the Old Testament, there was a title given to the special Messiah who would save the world, and they called him the Son of God. So Jesus is calling himself that right here. He's telling them plainly, just like they said, yes, I am the Son of God. I am the Messiah. If I'm not doing the works of the Father, then do not believe me. But if I do them, even though you do not believe me, believe the works that you may know and understand that, that the Father is in me and I am in the Father. And again, they sought to arrest him, but he escaped their hands. Now, this is weird. He's telling them, you are gods. Why is Jesus telling these guys who are trying to kill him, they're gods? This goes back to another song in the Old Testament, in the Psalms. Go back to Psalm 82. This is a psalm of Asaph. Everyone say Asaph. I just got to make sure you're with me. You know, Asaph was really cool. You know, King David, when he became king, he decided he really liked worship. And so he did this really cool thing. He created a worship team that just worshiped all the time. And, and one of these guys that was leading worship all the time, one of the best worship leaders, was Asaph. And uh, he actually, he had a musical group, and they were uh, actually called the Sons of Asaph. And it wasn't his biological sons. It was other people that would worship with him. And they became this kind of prestigious group that led worship. And this is a, a psalm of Asaph. And this is what it says. And it's, it's just so you don't reference, this song is referencing leaders of Israel. Judges, magistrates, local leaders. This is who it's talking about. These local leaders of Israel. These appointed councilmen, if you will, mayors and things like that. And let's, let's read this. It says, God has taken his place in the divine council. So it's kind of like a meeting's going on. In the midst of the gods, he holds judgment. How long, this is what God's asking, how long will you judge unjustly and show partiality to the wicked? Now, get this is a song, right? So songs use lots of imagery and metaphor and things like that, right? When we, when we say, you know, Jesus, his Holy Spirit is fire, well, we usually don't mean it's literal fire, although I've seen some fire once. Um, this is a song. Verse 3, give justice to the weak and the fatherless. He's telling these judges who he's now called gods, it, but isn't that kind of the way, like, think about that. Isn't a judge kind of like a god in a way? Don't they have authority? 
in, in the way is is the is a mayor or a leader like that aren't they kind of like a god can't they make decisions on behalf of people this is what he's saying here give justice to the weak and the fatherless and maintain the right of the afflicted and the destitute rescue the weak and needy deliver them from the hand of the wicked they have neither knowledge nor understanding they walk about in darkness all the foundations of the earth are shaken this is God's talking. I said you are gods, sons of the Most High, all of you. Nevertheless, like men you shall die and fall like any prince. And then Asaph ends the song, Arise, O God, and judge the earth, for you shall inherit the nations. This, this, is, this is a song comparing leaders, men, to gods. But these gods are evil. And he reminds them at the end of the song, remember, you might feel like a God, and I might call you God, but you're just a wicked man, and you will die. And so here's Jesus' point back in chapter 10. He's saying, wait a minute. You're mad at me because I'm saying I am the I am? But, but here's the thing. In the Psalms, in Scripture, it calls these evil leaders gods. So how's, how's what I'm doing is so wrong? And he makes the point, because they're, they're all about Scripture, all about Scripture, all about Scripture. And Jesus is, too. Look at what he says. And I think this is a small point, but you should highlight this in verse 35. He says, if he called them gods, and this is the part I would underline, to whom the word of God came, and Scripture cannot be broken. It's just thrown in there. The, the word of God came to them, and what do we know about the word of God? It's scripture that cannot be broken. Listen, this morning, I, you know what I'm confident in? Like some days I get up and I, I know I'm preaching a really good sermon, like, like as far as like a public speaker goes, and I'm like, oh, man, I'm, I've got this this morning, and people are, are moved to tears, and it's great, and I'm like, oh, I go home like, man, did good. And some days there's lots of yawning across the congregation. Everyone's had a rough weekend, and I'm like, oh, the temperature was too hot, and people are falling asleep. And I'm like, oh, man, I don't know if I did so good today. But can I tell you, neither one of those things matter. Whether I was a great speaker or not, neither one of those things actually matter. You know what does matter? That the Word of God is preached. That, that's, that's it. What matters is that the word of God is preached, and I'm confident every morning when I walk out of here, that's what I tell myself, when I'm feeling good, am I feeling good because of me or because I preach the word of God? And when I'm feeling bad, am I feeling bad because of me or did I preach the word of God? And can I tell you, for each other's lives, as you're walking with each other, the greatest tool you have to minister to someone is the word of God of God and the Holy Spirit inside of you that brings that word back to remembrance. If your friend's going through a hard time, love them, sit with them, be with them, because that's scriptural. But more than they need your opinion on how to deal with the hard time, they need the word of God. The word of God cannot be broken. Scripture cannot be broken. That's what Jesus is saying right here. The greatest thing you have for anyone to give to them the true life is the word of God. And Jesus made it very clear. I am the word in flesh. Give them Jesus. 
anytime someone in, is going through a difficult time and they're combative, you know, as I'm trying to walk with them through something, and I'm like, what dim disarms them nine times out of ten is to remind them that I am not trying to control their life or tell them they're wrong. I'm trying to give you Jesus. But you actually have to not be trying to control them or judge them or condemn their life. You, you actually have to be trying to give them Jesus. So here Jesus is saying that Scripture is the, the highest authority. It cannot be broken. It is the Word of God. And Jesus said, I've been doing works, and, and you don't, like, you're not going to believe anything. It doesn't, matter, it doesn't matter how many proofs I do. It doesn't matter how many times I try to convince you. It doesn't matter the number of miracles. It doesn't matter what I say. The, the Scripture tells us that no one comes unless the Father draws them. And and I want to say something here too. Like some people are like, man, I'm. I struggle with my faith. Does God even want anything to do with me anymore? Do you see here confidently that this scripture says that no one is able to snatch us out of the Father's hands? No one is able to snatch us out of the Father's hands. I, I, just, I just think that's incredible. And that gives me a lot of confidence, not in me, but in the Lord. That I'm not just going to wake up one day and all of a sudden not be saved. Because no one could snatch me from the Father's hands. Look at verse 40, and, and I'm almost done. It says, he went away across the Jordan to the place where John had been baptizing at first. It's important to know that John is dead now. John, John has been murdered by Herod. It says, there he, he remained, where, where John had started his ministry, and this is, this is the last thing. This is, like, after this is going to be the last week or two of Jesus' earthly ministry. This is the last public thing that happens, is Jesus goes back to the place where John started it all. John the Baptist, that is. It says, many came to him, and they said, John did no sign, but everything that John said about this man was true, and many believed in him there. Like, John did no miracles. All John did was tell the truth about Jesus, and many believed in him because of John's testimony. You know what, you know what I love about this? Is that John is dead, and yet John's testimony is still leading people to Christ. Did you catch that? John has been beheaded, and these people are hearing Jesus, and they remember what John said about him, and they're putting their faith in Jesus partly because John's testimony becomes true. This, this last week, we were at Hot Springs with the cross-country team, and uh, 
the night before the state meet, we always have a team meeting. It's something that I started my my first year I was coaching over a decade ago. And we have this team meeting, and we all sit down. Usually it's in the hotel lobby. It's usually really late at night. And everyone gets a chance to share. And as these kids start sharing things, it's crazy. It's crazy what comes out of their mouths. They, so many times they, they begin to weep and talk about how much this team has meant to them. Which always fills me with a lot of pride and humility at the same time. Do you guys, can you understand that? Like, man, this is so good to be a part of, but also, God, thank you for letting me be a part of this. Um, and kids just opening up about things, and, and they'll say things like, you know, my, my family life is just awful, and, and this team is really all I have. And, and things like, thank you, Coach K, for, for believing in me and pushing me and challenging me, and even on the hard days, you were there for me. And, and it's a culture, right? And I've said it so many times that, that that cross-country team, it's never been about the running. Running is just the tool we use to teach kids about life. But what it really is is a culture. And so last year I resigned as, as cross-country coach and had the joy of turning the team over to someone I coached personally who had grown up through that same culture. And so this last Thursday night, he called a team meeting because that's what we do. And I, I went and I tried to sit a little bit away from the group because it wasn't my meeting, right? But I wanted to be there. I wanted to hear, I wanted to hear these seniors who had, who had run for me all these years who were mad at me for quitting their senior year. But they also said, you know, Coach Wood is doing a great job, and he, and he, he was. But as he's... He's sitting there and he's having them share. The same thing kind of starts happening. A little bit different flavor, but it's, it's happening. People are sharing. People are opening up. And uh, I'm just sitting off to the side just weeping. I'm not saying a word. I'm not a part of this at all. But, but this thing that I was a part of is still going. This culture that, that, I, that I helped facilitate, it's still continuing on. And as we got back to the... The hotel room that night, Coach Wood, he looked at me and said, he said, I, I hope that went well. I was like, are you kidding? Like, it went perfect. I said, he said, it's just weird that now, like, I remember sitting in that same meeting, but now I'm the one, like, doing it. And I said, you know what's even cooler than that is fast forward 20 years and one of these kids that have run for you someday, they're going to be coaching a team somewhere. Or maybe it won't be a cross-country team. Maybe it'll be a, a small group at their church. Or maybe it'll be, be another organization they're a part of. But they gather a small group together and they remember the way the cross-country team felt and they try to create that same culture in that team. The reality is the culture of that team it was given to me when I was a kid from other men of God who, who loved and discipled me. And where did they get it from? From men that discipled them years before. And the reality is that, that even this culture of discipleship that we, we foster in this church, it's the same thing. 
it's the same thing. And and in our disciple making groups or in our church, as we're fostering this environment, this culture of Jesus being glorified among us, if we all die and go to glory, like that we have discipled others well enough that that continues on past us to where your name gets forgotten. But this culture of loving Jesus and honoring him carries on. And I, I look at John. Now, John got his name remembered here. But people are remembering what John said, and it's pointing them to Jesus. And, and I've heard this so many times. People, you, you, you teach what you know, but people remember the way you made them feel. And I'm not this one of these who thinks that Jesus should just be a feeling, but can you can I say this morning, Jesus brings feelings to us. These feelings of belonging and safety and security, the feeling of being a sheep with a good shepherd. And I say this morning, like, let me challenge this to each one of you this morning. Like, are you carrying that legacy on in your life? Are you discipling others that long after you've gone, all, long after you die, Long after we've, we've buried you in the ground, the way you ministered to others continues to point them to Jesus even after your name is forgotten. The reality is it would be really nice for our names to be remembered. It would be really nice, really nice to have a statue of us put up somewhere or our name on a building somewhere. That would be cool. But better than that, It'd be really great for me if Jesus doesn't return and if 100 years from now there's, there's some 14-year-old kid that comes to Christ. He never knew who I was, but I ministered to someone who ministered to someone who ministered to someone who led him to Jesus. Is there anything greater than that? That this 14-year-old kid meets the good shepherd because we were faithful to the Lord. Jesus made it real clear. Bow your heads for a moment as I, as I finish out this morning. Jesus made it real clear as the good shepherd that, first of all, there are wolves that come to attack. And this morning across this room, all of us can attest that we've had wolves come at us in our lives. And I would say this morning, the wolf that's come after all of us is this, it's the sin that separates us from God. But Jesus, being the good shepherd, laid down his life laid down his life to take our sin and our shame. And what's, what's the craziest thing is that then this good shepherd, not only did he lay down his life for us to protect us, but then he, he, did, he did something that none of us can do. He picked his own life back up and rose from the dead three days later. And I tell you this morning that Jesus is alive this morning i'm not talking about ancient history i'm talking to a man that is as real as i am this morning 
and he's alive, and he still wants to be your good shepherd today. He still wants to walk with you today. He still wants to be that fourth man in the fire with you today. And I'll tell you something, the more you grab a hold of him, you can't help but let him flow out of you. You can't help but want to love others well. You can't help but want to be the voice of compassion and kindness to others. The fruit of the Spirit just begins to pour out of you. In a way, we all sort of become shepherds to those around us the more we experience Jesus because we become more like him. We give life to those around us. So this morning, I want you to ask yourself, do the people around me experience abundant life as they get to know me more? What, am I, what I'm asking this morning is, are the fruits of the Spirit coming out of you? As, as people get to know you better and better, as, as they encounter you, are they experiencing life and hope and joy? And when you're going through hard times, do they get to witness someone who doesn't put their trust in circumstances but puts their trust in a faithful creator, a faithful shepherd? Are you creating that environment of Jesus where the Holy Spirit is glorified through you? This morning, I'm going to pray a prayer over you before I dismiss. Father God, I thank you for this congregation who's gathered here this morning. God, this morning, I pray that they would be filled with the Holy Spirit again. God, a fresh baptism, a fresh anointing of the Holy Ghost. Lord, that they be emboldened to preach the message of Jesus to those around them, but with their lives, with their actions, and with their words. Jesus, you said that your works prove who you are. God, I pray that our fruit, our works, would show the Jesus that's inside of us. God, challenge us this week, Lord. Challenge us to to lead someone to Jesus this week.
God, I thank you what you're going to do in us and through the through us this week. In Jesus' name I pray, amen.